Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ready? Ready. In three, two... Welcome to the Big Payoff Podcast Live. So we're here today at the Kellogg School of Management in Chicago, and this is actually our biggest live event, and we're really excited about it. It is really different from the last time we did this. This is much more raucous, and you're our people, and this is going to be fun. It's really great. I hope none of the other people from our last live yeah. podcast are listening. Well, I didn't is, say they were bad. I just said it's quite, quite different. They were quiet, yes. Hmm? Um, the other thing that's different is that we sent questions out to you in advance. Oh, I think we did this last time, too. But we sent out questions, and we got some wonderful responses, and we're going to be reading them out tonight verbatim. Those of you who asked that their names could be used, we will use those. Um, but it really helped inform the show. So thank you for being so responsive. Yeah. And I guess before we begin, because you know who Suzanne is, you may not know who I am to Suzanne. I was originally brought in to help Suzanne. She needed help. <laughs> and I See was... how they laugh like they knew to laugh because they thought that was funny. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh -huh. I was her professor. I was teaching her what I could, given the circumstances. And, and it, it, it's actually where we did learn a lot about what we're talking about tonight, about the confidence you get from certain kinds of vulnerability and how we really grew up together in that exchange. Yeah, and how to rewrite history so that one person <laughs> seems more expert than the other when that's... Listen One version of the story. Listen and learn. Um, but that is what we're talking about today. And this topic became really relevant for us because Rachel and I both have daughters and because I teach so many of you. And we see a lot of inner struggle and a lot of battling around this issue where people feel a fear of being found out and feel that maybe you're the only one who feels that way. And the term people use is imposter syndrome. Yep. And the, really the question we had when we first started talking about this was, is this new? Because I, I actually think I read somewhere that it was a term coined in like 1978, but it seems as if it's being talked about a lot now. And uh, the question is, is it mainly women? Because I also feel as if it's associated mostly with women. And what we found out is that it's actually not. 
it's actually, interestingly, the research will show that men suffer from it more. Right. And there was an interesting piece of research in the Journal of Personality. And this take on it we found really interesting, which is why the gender difference is so apparent. So they refer in the in the piece to IPs, which is people who experience imposter syndrome. And they say, and this is a quote from the article, male IPs experienced greater anxiety after receiving negative feedback and under conditions of high accountability than did female IPs and exhibited less effort and poorer performance on a task when held accountable to a higher authority. So the explanation turns out that women report more than men that they are experiencing that. But in fact, men are experiencing it more. Right. So it's. I think this is pretty common, and we certainly see it all the time, not just among women. We didn't feel it ourselves at the early part of our careers. No, Suzanne, so in fact, say. when this topic first came up, Rachel and I were like, what? Right. Because we didn't experience it. In fact, I think we had the opposite problem. Yeah, it was a, I mean, I look back on my 20s and just wince at the grandiosity and the sense of walking into any room just going, oh yeah, excuse me, and being younger <laughs> than 20 years and go, I know, but here you can look at it this way instead. Right. Somehow no, thinking Rachel, we were getting no. away with Rachel it. Rachel and I have the worst memories of meetings from our early days of working together because uh, multiply that by two. Yeah. Like I think I'm the smartest person in the room and she thinks she's the smartest person in the room and then we both walk in and we're like, you're so smart. And no, we don't so do data or right. market research. So it was just like horrible behavior, writing notes to each other, just horrible behavior. But I think the worst, it wasn't really a bad thing because then the truth is, and we're going to talk about this today, there is a way to approach this that makes sense, that allows you to gain confidence and to approach it in a way that's reasonable. And it turns out that we realized that we had sort of crossed this threshold to the point where we had gained a certain kind of inner confidence mm -hmm. that was stunning to our young colleague. Shall we call him, I don't know, Josh? Okay. And so what happened was we were at a client, we were at the Muhammad Ali Center, or we were headed to the Muhammad Ali Center, and we had actually been given the task of rebranding Muhammad Ali, like his wife, Lonnie, had brought us in because there was a brand issue with Muhammad Ali himself. And so we were like, okay. okay. Who's he again? Is he a football player? Wait, what? No, we weren't like that, but no. we literally didn't no. have, we took the assignment on and were sent down to Louisville to do this assignment where we were meeting Louisville, Louisville with all the people there. And so we took Josh with us and on the way down, Josh says to us, well, like, how do you guys have the knowledge and expertise well, to do Well, we were this? saying we were making a bunch of yeah. very confident postulations. And he said, oh, so how do you know that? Where are the data to back that up? And we were like, yeah, we're like what? <laughs> if you say it a certain way, yeah, you... it, doesn't it feel true? <laughs> Right. And it was the first time that we had been looked at by someone we worked closely with. Who, who was a Kellogg grad. A Kellogg grad, a Yale grad. And he was looking at us like, who do you two think you are? But the truth was, this was how we had gone about our careers. So we want to give you back some of what we learned about how to do this well. 
because there is a way to do it well, and there's a way to claim yourself in this space that actually does work. Right. I mean, we say all the time that it's really important to get out of your comfort zone. That's where growth happens. That's where the stretch is. And that if you're not feeling on the edge of discomfort, it's not happening. And it's kind of a paradox because on the one hand, we glorify that. And on the other hand, you punish yourselves when that happens, and you often feel punished for it. So let's take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to reframe some ideas for you, and I think that will really set you up for thinking about the whole confidence and expertise question differently. So, Rachel, we've heard the mantra, fake it till you make it, and that's really what we're talking about today. But we've never liked that phrase. I, I actually realized while we were making this podcast that that phrase is really has a shadow side that's part of the problem on both ends of the phrase. So on the one hand, when you're saying that you're faking it, I don't care whether you're glorifying or not, you're immediately planting this concept that you're a fraud. Okay, So you're not faking it. And then the other problem is that you're faking it till you make it as if there's some destination at which you will no longer be feeling that. And that doesn't happen either. So we thought it might be a good idea to give you a different mantra, right? To, to, so that when you walk into a room and you even have anything close to that bubble over your head, that maybe we could give you something different to think about. And of course, Rachel turned to me because I'm her... Um, expert in a lot of this and just rebranding and life in general. And if you listen to our Frolics um, podcast, I came up with that. Yeah. Yeah. You sure did. <laughs> Which um, was great and, and spontaneous. So I came up with a new mantra for you all. And Rachel, when I came up with it, was like, that's why you're a professor and you're so <laughs> smart. Yeah. Wasn't yeah. that your response? Uh -huh. I'm full of those kinds of compliments to you. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. So, but this is a really good phrase. So I thought that you should think about it more as learn it till you earn it. See how they, thank you, grasshoppers. Okay. But, but, er, but the, the, the problem with that is that Wait, you never, problem. Yeah. you said you liked it. I, I actually wanted to learn it till you burn it. Really? Yeah. Oh, I thought that would be good for bonfire. Um, anyway. I, it's okay, and we can move on. I'll actually tell you a story of someone precisely on this point. So I have a friend in New York who is a friend or a, a friend. friend. He's just a friend, and he's <laughs> he's been a he's a very accomplished painter, and he's been an artist for fifty years. And um, he told me about ten years ago that he was well into his career, and he was experiencing yet again the same thing he experienced at the beginning of every canvas, at every painting, that he had always experienced his whole life, which is that he's in his studio, he's got his canvas stretched, he's all ready to go, and he's like, I, I have no idea what I'm doing, I have no idea what this is going to be, what am I doing, and he's overwhelmed with doubt, and he suddenly had this epiphany, oh, this doubt is part of the process, not before I get to the real process. It's the, in, it's the first part, the on-ramp to the process. So that's really part of the reframing we want you to think about, which is 
the doubt you have is a necessary precondition to the confidence you will get. And without it, you can't really get there. So think of it not as, oh, this time it's not going to happen, but if I'm having this doubt, oh, good, that's step one. And we also want to give you some insight from the other side of the canvas, which is Rachel and I often talk about that blank page or that canvas as a piece of paper if we have a deliverable to do or in a meeting if we have a big idea to come up with. And our attitude is always, help us. You may see us as the experts, but if you even have something small to contribute that allows us to not look at a blank page or to start a meeting with a small idea that can lift us and get us into a conversation, we are always thankful for that. Right, if and it's, it always. doesn't have to be like super no. smart or super knowledgeable. It's just the courage to get something out there and that lifts us up and helps us. And we and, will always yeah. reward that in the room. And if you're not being rewarded for that in the room, that's a problem. Yeah, and because, not yours. And not yours. Because that's the way great conversations start. That's the way great ideas start. That's the way great papers get written. So we'll often say to someone, just give us a drafty draft. Right. Because it gives them permission to just be messy. And, you know, our friend Richard Saul Werman, who's the founder of the TED conference, which is all about ideas worth spreading. It's all about knowledge. He used to always say that his great um, gift is being the dumbest person in the room, that he's an expert at not knowing. And being in that not knowing state in a really useful way, which is possible for all of us. So let us do one more reframe, another reframe for you guys. So many of you raise this issue about being expected to expect to know more than you do. And so, um, Catherine Vanacor, you said, a few years ago, my company shifted its business model and offered an entirely new set of consulting services. We didn't have a team that was trained in this new material, and so it was an all-hands-on-deck situation to get up to speed. I traveled independently to a number of clients to implement our new services and felt like an imposter because I didn't know, how mu know much about the material, but was supposed to be an expert. And this seemed like a really common experience that a lot of others put yeah, down something similar. Yeah, the experience similar. that you that many of you had, and I think many of us have, is thinking that what people expect of you is knowledge. So another woman told us an experience she had at work um, when she had to walk customers through a product recall at her company. And she says, I have no sales training, was not provided a lot of background prior to going out into the field, so felt a bit overwhelmed as to how I would face our customers as the representative of our company. When I got on site, the customers were just glad to have someone there reassuring them and helping them work through their issues. In the end, their confidence in me enabled me to reach deep and have confidence in myself. And it, it just really struck us when yeah. we read that, that you really need to reframe this conflation between expertise and knowledge and between authority and knowledge, because you can exude authority and have natural authority in a whole lot of different ways, um, and we're here to tell you that, <laughs> without yet knowing. Yeah. And this is where there's this, you know, unfortunate situation in too many rooms where there is 
competence and there is confidence. And we happen to know that this is very true, that what goes on too often is that there are, let's just call it out here, men in the room whose competence in no way, shape, or form will equal yours. Lots of head nodding. But they will jump into the conversation with their confidence, right? And we all just watch that go by like, wow, that is at the same time deeply disturbing and impressive, right? So you should disaggregate those two because your confidence matters and that's something that is on you. That's something you can pull yourself up because competence is not the issue. Nope. So when we, we're going to take a break, we've just reframed um, several ideas. And now when we come back, we're going to give you some tools that you can use so that you don't walk away from here with just a head full of ideas. <laughs> I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Okay, so we've got actually four tools that we're going to give you. And the first one is that it's how, this is the first thing to remember, it's how you think as much as what you know. So let's, let's just get into what that means. Um, we asked you, one of the questions we asked you was, who, who, describe the women that you admire who seem really confident. And it was really interesting what we got back. I think a lot of them wrote about me. I don't think anybody <laughs> at all, at all mentioned you. But really? Lauren I think Dipple you didn't said, look in the details because yeah, they no. footnoted me, maybe. No. Lauren Dipple said, the really impressive woman who runs our office in Chicago is never phased in any situation. She exudes calm, which makes people really comfortable around her. I think the most impactful thing I've noticed that she that she does is not try to fill the void with uh, <clears throat> unnecessary talking. She takes time to thoughtfully choose her words and actively listens to those speaking. She maybe does 20% of the talking in a conversation. And I'm just reading two of the many comments we got. Catherine Robertson also mentioned calm. She said, the woman I have observed, the women I have observed who are confident in these types of situations are very calm and able to ask the right questions. So what you're talking about here when you elevate the things you admire has nothing to do with knowledge. It's about demeanor. 
It's about how they are in the room, how they think, how they ask questions. And it's really interesting that the very thing you admire most, because you could have said, wow, the women I admire are just like data banks, but you didn't. You talked about their demeanor, and that's exactly right. Yep. I know it's what you admire about me most It's pretty much all you got. (laughs) It's all you got. Number two. Okay, so let's talk about tool two now, which is about listening and asking brilliant questions, which is related to what we just talked about, but in a slightly different way. So there's a whole art to asking questions. And some of you said, more than one of you said, I'm concerned that if I have questions, it'll slow the group down. It'll expose what I don't know. So the real, the real issue we're talking about is how do you ask a question while still projecting confidence and while still adding value to the conversation. And boy, is that possible. It's, it's just a good question, a really good question, and not one that's just filling the room or asking for a fact, but really questioning some underlying assumption or um, asking whether there might be another way of looking at it can sometimes completely change the conversation. You know what Rachel and I learned one year when we were doing a lot of business development is that the proposals that we were yep. writing, and I actually think we we stole Still this from from, her, from uh, Rachel's twin. Rachel has an identical twin sister. Like I it's know. troubling. Trust me. Um, <laughs> but we steal a lot of things from Julie and. We just do. So anyway, DNA. Yes. So we learned that some of the proposals that we were writing to pitch business were very heavy because we were trying to prove how much we knew Mm -hmm. in the proposal. And instead, we got this great insight from Julie, which is cut all that out. Just tell them what questions you are going to answer. And we would sit together and say, what are the 10 questions? Best questions. That if if they knew you were going to answer those, they would go, oh, oh, uh, there's no amount of money I wouldn't pay to get those questions answered. And it was incredibly powerful. It was magic. Um, And, you know, look, it's also, it's not always about feeling this pressure in the room to add a new insight or to say the super smart thing. Sometimes you can just be clear. Sometimes there's been a lot of good conversation that goes on in the room. And if you are the person who's able to bring some ideas together and just weave them together in a really smart and elegant way, there's value add in that. Now, I'm smiling because I happen to know someone who's very close to me and not Rachel, um, who's a man and <laughs> listens to this podcast. Okay, it's my husband. And, <laughs> I, and okay, I love him a lot. But I will just say that when I first met him, I, I was sort of stunned by how this worked. We would be in rooms, and I remember telling Rachel this, that a very, very smart and powerful people, and a lot of conversation would go on. Insights and insights and 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 knowledge about all kinds of things. And at the very, very end, David would wrap it all up. Just summarize what people summarize. And the room would go, whoosh. Oh my God, David. Suzanne, he is so smart. Like, he is, wow. And when Suzanne called me, it was like, what the hell? (laughs) I mean, 
I had like 10 way smarter things to say. And all he did was summarize what everybody else said. Yeah. And I will tell you, I'm having this experience right now where I was hired by a client to deal with two huge programs that they have. One on beneficial technology and one on reimagining capitalism. Never took a course in economics. I have no, I didn't even know what beneficial tech meant. I just had no idea. It turns out, and I, you know, I was nervous at the beginning. I yes. told you like, yeah, I, 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 I can't. You just go in with great questions, with the stuff you do know, which is say, saying, what are your hypotheses here? And how do you know they're true? And just get to the structure of what you actually know and superimpose it on their knowledge base. They find it incredibly really? helpful. Yeah. Tool number three is about generosity. And this is an easy one because everyone can do it. And it's really about being generous because the room that you're in is always in need of this. No matter how many people in the room have expertise or how many smart people in the room have data and knowledge, there needs to be someone in the room passing the ball and being generous and seeing people and playing that role. And it's helpful and it's powerful. And so this was a great quote. So Kayla Silverstein, who we may have quoted before, said this to us. She said, while getting hair and makeup done at her sister's wedding, she was watching her mom and her anxiety. This is, I'm going to quote Kayla. She says, I was watching my mom and her anxiety play out in a way I'd never fully been able to recognize and in a way that validated a lot of my ongoing challenges in trying to support her. Learning this new perspective, I struggled to fully stay present in the experience. I tried to ignore her and focus on the other members of the bridal party, but I wish I had maybe tried to engage her in the conversation in a way that would make her feel more welcome and part of the conversation. We thought that was like a beautiful, beautiful insight right. and it, observation. It's really important to recognize that there is always someone in the room who is experiencing what you're experiencing and who could use your help. And when you are feeling small, if you act magnanimous, it has a miraculous effect on your own confidence. Okay. Um, compliment alert. I'm about to give Rachel a compliment, which she never takes well. Oh my and God. <laughs> okay. So um, Rachel's really good at this. And I'm always stunned by it, not because she's good at it, but because it, it comes out of her in a way that I'm thinking, oh my God, I never could have done that. So we'll be in meetings with team members and I have a pretty short attend. I have a pretty short leash on things not getting where I think they need to be. I just do. Right. Mm. <laughs> and Rachel always plays the role of bringing somebody who's quiet in the room out. So she'll be the one really reading the room and saying to someone like, oh, um, Jennifer, that is so smart. Or can you just say what you said again? Or she'll bring someone forward who wasn't speaking. And I always look at her like, and oh then my God, what that happens, is so They become, generous. yes. They become part of the conversation and add something because their shoulders go down. And the next thing you know, they're contributing away because she's just brought them out. And I'm like, I never could have done that. 
It's really, really nice. I'm just going to sit here and take that compliment for the. How many more minutes do we have? We just like <laughs> That's sit in last this. one. Love it. Last. One. We have one more tool. No, that was your last compliment. <laughs> oh. <laughs> there you go. Okay, last one. This is a big one. This is complicated, but I'm going to try to make it easy. So there's a difference between content knowledge and construct knowledge, and and you should separate them. So when you're in a room and feeling like the thing you're feeling stressed about is you don't know the content, that there are other people in the room who might know more about something than you do. So you're feeling less than, or like you can't speak up because everybody else in the room knows more. What we always bet on, and Rachel's last examples were perfect, was not that we knew more about the subject matter, but that we had constructs or frameworks or ways of thinking that might be different or helpful or additive that we could bring to the conversation. And that way you can plug content into anything. Like content to us is plug and play. Right. And you can you can also, a lot of times when you're uncomfortable in a in a situation and your assumption is that it's because you don't know enough about the content, you can question the construct. Yes. You can say, are we really talking about the right thing? It's always a very impressive thing to do. And in fact, <laughs> I, I, I will give you an example of, um, oh my God, it, still to this day, sometimes yes, in it, the shower, it like, you know how yeah. that is in the shower where you're like, oh my God. Um, <laughs> I, was, uh, uh, I was supposed to call a board member of one of our clients to review some of the recommendations we were giving to the firm. Oh God. And she, this is a now, very I, I important get, woman. I start sweating. I know. I start She's sweating. very important. She's a, the head of a law school of an Ivy League university. And um, very, very busy. And it took forever to schedule this call. Scheduled the call, got on, and I ran through some of our really good recommendations. They were solid. They'd already been reviewed by the client. And from the very first moment of the call, she was awful. Hostile? I mean, unbelievably eye-watering. Like, what? 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 What do you want? Yeah. Oh, wait a minute. Was that a recommendation? I mean, are you still talking? Like, that kind of stuff. <laughs> And I went into hyperdrive on the content. I was like, okay, you're going to question the content. I'm going to go, well, listen, you know, this is why we came with that. And these were the data that we found, blah, 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 blah. And I hung up and it was just like, oh my God, so that was awful. the worst call I think in my life. It was so humiliating. And I felt like a, like that. I called Suzanne and she said, um, why didn't you stop? the call at the very beginning and say, um, Mark, I am picking up some hostility here. You can say her first name. All right, you, okay, Tyler, you can beep that out. Um, I like, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sensing hostility in the call. Is there something about this call that's making you uncomfortable? Okay, so I once had a professor that said, called that, the balcony view, right? There's the view on the floor where you're in it, but you always have the right to get up on the balcony and look down on what's happening and comment on the construct as opposed to, you know, duking it out on the content. And that I also believe is a more female um, approach and it's winning and you it's always available to you. Yeah. 
So we are going to take a quick break and come back with a segment that I know um, some people in this room really love about the podcast, mm -hmm. um, our Check This Out, where we make some recommendations to you. Okay, I'm beginning because I can't contain myself. I didn't tell Suzanne about this because she actually told me about it and I didn't want her to get inflated about it. But you, I know you guys don't have Apple TV because, A, it's expensive, but more important, you would have had no reason to have Apple TV before this happened, which is The Morning Show. I am telling you right now, I've just finished all the episodes. It is the single most subtle, spectacular, surprising, confusing treatment of Me Too, of the Me Too incident on morning television, which is basically Matt Lauer. Um, and just when you think that you know who's to blame or you finish one episode going, oh, he's an asshole, or she, everybody becomes fully dimensional and by the end you're like, wow. The world is changing so fast around this issue that we are all getting caught up and ground up in the gears, and it's really nobody's fault, although mm, there are some moments. I guess Martin Short in this is the one person who's just... But it is delicious, and even though I don't love Jennifer Aniston, Reese Witherspoon and Steve Carell, just everybody in this is spectacular. And it's a very brave script. Very They took brave. on some themes that were courageous and brave. So thank you, Suzanne. You're welcome. Um, okay. Wow. And I have nothing in that category for you, but I have something better that's, well, maybe not better. Very different, very different category. Okay. So here's, here's the thing. I don't typically push drugs on my students, um, but I'm about to push one. Okay. So, so this is the thing. Um, I have a, a friend who's a pediatrician and she once said to me as I was leaving for a trip abroad, and she said, well, you're taking Zofran with you, aren't you? And I said, what's Zofran? And she said, you're kidding me, right? I said, no, what is it? She said, it is an anti-nausea medication. I had no idea what it was. She said, you should never be without it because the truth is nausea is the single like symptom that any of us had you should never have. You should never, ever feel nauseous. There's no reason There's to no ever reason to ever experience nausea. So she said, you can just ask any of your doctors. They will prescribe it to you. You don't have to be sick. It's something you should just carry around with you. One tablet, my friends, one tablet. You will never feel nauseous again. Never. How about that? Now, which is more helpful to you, binge watching television or me just eliminating one is about the feature pleasure. of nausea? One is about pleasure and one is about the avoidance of pain. So it just depends on what you want. I guess that's true. So check those out. Thank you for listening to The Big Payoff. And please remember to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Please send us your questions, comments, concerns, face mask suggestions. We love to hear from you. You can reach us at info at bigpayoffradio.com. 
This episode of The Big Payoff is recorded by Adam Yaffe. We are produced by Lily Bella. This live podcast taping was produced in collaboration with Tyler Green of thestoryproducer.com. We are mixed, edited, and scored by Ryan Derringer at Welterweight Sounds. See you next week.